It's time for Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott, inviting the atheist, agnostic, and skeptic to examine for themselves the evidence for the Christian faith. We are all limited by what we do not know and by the things we think we know but are not true. Dr. Joe Mott earned his Ph.D. at LSU and was a distinguished math professor at Florida State University for 38 years, helping to write three math textbooks and authoring over 30 research articles in math. He is now the host of this radio program, Defending and Commending the Faith. Here is Joe Mott. Hello to everyone. Welcome to the program. I begin today to discuss some prevalent worldviews that we have to confront every day. The Christian life isn't only about knowing what you believe and why you believe it. It's also about being aware of the philosophies and worldviews that challenge Christianity. The Apostle Paul warned the Christians in the city of Colossae, Beware lest anyone take you captive through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, rather than own Christ. Jude, the half-brother of Jesus, wrote, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. So it is of utmost importance for Christians not only to be aware of the false views, but also of how to combat their false ideas. Despite the dire consequences of relativism and postmodernism, It seems to me that the culture has bought into these debilitating ideas. People can live by a false worldview, but in that case, there will be some beneficial things from which they will be deprived. Because human beings are created in God's image as rational human beings, we all will have a worldview. So allow me to give a definition of a worldview. Just as the word itself suggests, a worldview is an overall view of the world. It is not a physical view of the world like that of a rocket liftoff. Rather, it is a philosophical view of the world, and not just of our planet Earth, but of all reality. A worldview is an all-encompassing perspective on everything that exists and all that matters to us. It is a frame of reference, a way of viewing or interpreting all of reality, a collection of assumptions about the way reality is structured. Why is it that two people looking at the same ink blot can see entirely different things in it? How is it that some stargazers see bears, birds, and giants while others can scarcely see the Big Dipper? The answer is that each person is looking at the same event through different eyeglasses. Through red lens in the eyeglasses, everything looks red. 
This is why people with different worldviews will often see the same facts in different ways. For example, an Orthodox Jew looks at the exodus of Israel from Egypt as a divine intervention. He sees it as a miracle. A naturalist, on the other hand, would view it as a natural event. Both could admit the same fact and yet come to entirely different conclusions what the fact means. This is because they have different worldviews. Worldviews make a world of difference, even in how one understands the same fact. We can think of a worldview functioning in terms of analogies like that of a map, a lens, a filter, a creed, eyeglasses, etc. It can be compared to the picture on a jigsaw puzzle box. You have all these puzzle pieces and you need the puzzle box to get an idea of where to fit in a puzzle piece. Our worldview governs our thinking even when we are not aware of it. Albert Wolters says in his book Creation Regained, we need some creed to live by, some map by which we chart our course. He is talking about a worldview. Your worldview represents your most fundamental beliefs and assumptions about the universe you inhabit. It reflects how you would answer all the big questions of human existence, the fundamental questions we ask about life, the universe, and everything. You can address a worldview by considering the elements it includes. Usually that includes these ideas, God, humanity, truth, knowledge, and morality, or ethics. Is there a God? If so, what is God like? And how do I relate to God? If there is no God, does it matter? What is truth? And can anyone really know the truth anyway? Where did the universe come from? And where is it going? If anywhere. What is the meaning of life? Does my life have a purpose? And if so, what is it? Who determines what is morally right? and morally wrong, etc. Norman Geisler and Frank Turek in their book, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist, gives a list of five issues followed by a question each of us have to answer in order to evaluate a worldview. First, origin. Where did I come from? Second, identity. Who am I? Third, meaning. Why am I here? Fourth, morality. How should I live? Fifth, destiny. Where am I going? So what are the issues that relate to a worldview? James Sauer, in his book, The Universe Next Door, gave a list of seven issues. In the interest of time, I will omit his list. Allow me to abbreviate both of these lists with these four questions. Who am I? Identity. Why am I here? Meaning. What is wrong with the world? Morality. What can I do to make it right?
calling. Christian theism answers these fundamental questions in this way. Who am I? Humans are made in the image of God. Believers are God's masterpiece. We have been given a throne of glory, and we will receive the crown of glory that will not fade away when the chief shepherd appears. Though the Apostle Peter is addressing the elders of the church, we must also remember that the crown will be awarded to all those who long for and love the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. This word glory has two primary meanings. First, it refers to the nature of God and his actions. It entails his splendor, brightness, and greatness. In Isaiah chapter 42, verse 8, the word of God is recorded, I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory I will not give to another nor my praise to carved images. He repeats that again. I will not give my glory to another in Isaiah chapter 48, verse 11. Recall Stephen, one of the seven deacons of the early church in Jerusalem, who being stoned to death was able to look to the heavens and see the glory of God. Second, this word glory also means the praise and honor we bestow to God alone, what is due him because of who he is. It also recognizes that believers are wondrously blessed to enter the kingdom. For as Paul so eloquently put it, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Why am I here? To bring honor and glory to him who created me. Ascribe greatness to our God in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 3, part B. Let them give glory to the Lord and declare his praise in the coastland in Isaiah 42, verse 12 having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace. That's in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6, part A. That you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18. The Shorter Catechism answers this question. What is the chief end of man? The answer, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. What's wrong with the world? Answer, you, me, all of us. We were alienated from the one who created us. And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, Colossians chapter 1, verse 21, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world, 
Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12. How can what is wrong be made right? That question can be answered by the passage in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. In her book, Total Truth, the author, Nancy Piercy, quotes a U.S. congressman who said, I got involved in politics after the 1973 abortion decision because I thought that was the fastest route to moral reform. Well, we've won some legislative victories, but we've lost the culture. In order to affect lasting change, the congressman concluded, we need to develop a Christian worldview. Not only have we lost the culture, but we continue losing our own children. It's a familiar but tragic story that devout Christian young people, raised in Christian homes, head off to college and abandon their faith before they graduate. The 2022 Barna survey reports that over 80% of the youth between the ages of 18 to 29 raised in the church are now leaving the Christian faith. They claim that one reason why they are leaving was they never got answers to their questions in the church. This survey also revealed that only 2% of teenage parents in the church live by a biblical worldview. Also, that less than 10% of adults in the church were living by a biblical worldview. Other research studies underscore how tremendously important teenagers' questions really are. The 2005 book, Soul Searching, The Religious and Spiritual Lives of American Teenagers, by Christian Smith with Melinda Lundquist Denton, shows that teens were asked why they fell away from the religion in which they were, were raised. Nearly a third... 32%, in fact, said they left the church because of doubts and questions. The teens told researchers it didn't make any sense anymore. They added, some stuff is too far-fetched for me to believe. Or they said, I think scientifically, and there is no real proof. There are too many questions that can't be answered. The soul-searching survey asked, what do U.S. teenagers actually believe religiously? They discovered that 80% do believe in God with only 3% definitely not believing in God. But what kind of God is that most teens believe in? About two-thirds of teens say they believe in a personal God that is involved in the lives of people today. 13% profess something like a deist's view of God as having created the world but is not involved in the world now. And 14% took a more New Age approach to God as an impersonal, cosmic life force.
5% did not answer the question at all. These findings are striking. Two-thirds profess believing in the Bible's personal, historically active God. Those who assume U.S. youth have been largely secularized might be surprised by this finding. But the survey also shows more than 30% of hold to a deistic New Age or uncertain picture of God. Those who assume U.S. youth are continuing with a biblically tradition or orthodox view of God should be surprised by the second finding. I close this episode by reminding you, exercise daily, walk with God. Thank you for listening to Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott, a production of Wave 94 Radio in Tallahassee, Florida. If you have any questions or comments for Joe, please forward them to Doug Apple at Wave 94 at this email address, dougapple at wave94.com. And be sure to join us every Monday evening at 6.45 p.m. on Wave 94 and subscribe through your favorite podcast app, Defending and Commending the Faith, with Joe Mott.